It is your money. I'm Susie Jones. And right out of the gates, I want to remind you, if you have a financial question, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that number is one eight 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 six advice You can also email your questions at any time to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Or a third option, you can call or text our studio line. That number is 651 651- Four six one nine two two six, and joining us now is the founder of Wealth Enhancement, Bruce Helmer, and senior financial advisor Peg Webb. Welcome to both of you. Good morning, Susie. Good morning, Bruce. Hello, <clears throat> hello, Peg. Hello, Susie. Uh, always great to be with you, ladies. And uh, you know, listeners, I know not everyone you know listens live. A lot of people listen to this. Uh, this broadcast in a variety of different ways, but it's close to Christmas. Now, right now, as I speak, we've got eight days, and uh, I'm just wondering, ladies, have you got all your shopping done? Peg? Well, yes. (laughs) Right now, I'm just, once again, I get so fired up about the fact that the uh, calendar actually ends on the 31st of this month, and we have a couple big holidays and so um, I'm so behind. I'm so behind <laughs> in writing cards, um, in thanking clients, in uh, joining up in, in uh, you know, luncheons and all those kinds of things. It's, it's too bad that it all happens at one time. But uh, <laughs> first and foremost, my clients that are out there and potential clients that are out there, do not hesitate to call us. Uh, and and get something done if that's what you want to do. We're we're more than prepared to do it for you. I'm just complaining because this the the festive mode that you get in with all the lights and the festivities and and then you're trying to squeeze everything in, including your family uh, Christmas parties. Bruce, um, I'm I'm I understand everything you just said, Peg, and I agree. It's it's a very hectic time of year, although it's a wonderful, joyous, happy time of year. I, I always say, you know, not to be too much like uh, uh, the Grinch or Scrooge, I'm glad when it's over. I, I like the time of season, but when we get past everything and it's early January, it's kind of a relief to get back to uh, normal schedules. Susie, where, how, how do you sit these days? Are you done with your shopping? Oh, I am almost done with my shopping, but I like jam way too much into my life and I sometimes pay for it like last <laughs> last night I I'll make it quick but last night I drove to see my niece play hockey in Oatana and I knew I had a big day today and a friend had a holiday party last night and I said to my mom I don't think I'm gonna go I'm too tired I think I should just go home and go to bed but this little voice in my head said, oh, but just stop by for a little while. So, of course, I went. And, I was, of course, I was there late. Had a wonderful time. But, you know, it's like burning the candle at both ends. You run out of steam after a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I get, totally get it. So, Peg, this kind of, and, and again, I don't mean to hijack our show, and I promise we'll get to good uh, financial stuff today. And hopefully a lot of questions from listeners today. Susie already gave the number, but 651 651- Four six one nine two two six. We're going to have an open line show here shortly and take as many questions as we can. But every year, Peg, you and I, for for listeners that have been with us a long time, they'll recall this. 
we always have a discussion about gift cards versus no gift cards. And you just mentioned how overwhelming it can be and all the, everything going on. Getting a gift card can speed things up. If, um, and, and, but I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. I want you to express how you feel about it. But it can also seem like you're copping out and you're not putting enough time and thought into giving a considerate, thoughtful gift if you just give a gift card. Is that fair? Uh, Bruce, I have never changed my opinion on that. I, I truly, <laughs> I just truly believe if we're all just going to exchange gift cards, then what's the point, you know? And and I, somewhat the receiver is kind of guilty of, of me feeling this way too, because when you take the time to think of a thoughtful gift, uh, sometimes it's not well received, right? And a lot of times the way that I shop is something that I would want to buy for myself. I kind of think about that. Oh, would I want this? And I don't know that that's the right thing because maybe the person I'm giving the gift to has is nothing like me and doesn't think like me and probably doesn't like it. But I tend to steer myself towards, oh, I would want that. So this other person would want that too. It, it, and I, I started the show by complaining about the lack of time. I still, because of the internet now and because of the speed of delivery, I feel even stronger that gift cards are not the way to go because these companies, um, these uh, um, places where you buy all these things are accommodating us in a very short period of time. So you're not on the road running around to all these different stores. They're getting the product to you in a much faster way than they ever have before. Bruce. Yep. So I agree with that. And every year I say, Peg, I understand and I agree. And, and, and my rebuttal, my rebuttal has always been, but you know what? There's some people I don't know what to get. And if I get them a gift card to, to a favorite store, they can get what they want and make sure they're getting something they like. Whereas if I choose it, they might not like it, but they're too nice to tell me they don't like it. But I have a new slant this year, Peg, and I'm not trying to change your mind, but I thought of something I've never thought of before. So my wife, Pamela, always actually asks me, when, when I say, what do you want for Christmas? There's a couple stores that she asks me for a gift card. Now, this is not the only thing I get her is gift cards. I also get some other things. I have some ideas. She has some ideas. But here's the slant on gift cards. It's not just me being lazy, but Pamela actually enjoys the process of shopping and going to the store. So I'm giving her the gift of doing something that she loves to do anyway. For some of us, we de-stress or depressurize by taking a walk or reading a book or meditating. Pamela likes to shop. That's, that's what she enjoys. So my giving her a gift card to a couple of her favorite stores is actually a gift in a different way. It's, it's giving her uh, an excuse to go do something she loves to do anyway. But Peg, your point is not lost on me. It can be a cop-out. It can be um, <laughs> not thought your gift. And, and I, I think I, I totally agree with, with what you said. Well, um, it's, an, it's an open line show today, but Peg, we always get you know questions during the weeks when we're not on air, we get uh, call-ins and, and voicemails and emails and whatnot. So, again, we'll take as many questions from listeners as we can, 651-461-9226. You can call or text. But, Peg, have you got anything on your laundry list of questions 
that you've received that we can uh, get the ball rolling? Yeah, I had a couple questions uh, this this past week, and one of them is uh, I have a client that was a little bit strapped for money and wondering if they could take money out of their 401k. And actually, you can take money out of your 401k. Um, there's rules associated with taking money out of your 401k. You should check with your employer or your HR department if you can't see the ramifications of taking money out online. A lot of companies now have the detail online. But if you take money out before you're 59 and a half, you're subject to a 10% penalty. In addition, you have to pay income taxes on taking that money out. So what some people do is um, many companies still have uh, what's called a loan to yourself. So you can actually borrow money, and there's a cap on it. Usually it's $50,000, but you can borrow money from your corporate plan, and then um, you have to pay the principal back, plus they tack on some interest, but believe it or not, you're paying yourself interest, and then they deduct that from your payroll, um, and I don't know how long they'll amortize it over, maybe two years, maybe five years, sometimes 10 years, depending on what the amount is. Now, the negative of that is um, you wake up one morning, you say, I don't want to work for this company anymore. I've got this $50,000 loan, and I don't want to work there anymore, so I'm going to leave. Well, the minute you leave, that all becomes um, tax that all becomes taxable, and if you're under 59 and a half, you've got to be really careful. Um, it used to be more popular when people worked at a company for a very long time, and they didn't worry about that. But today, the average is still people stay about seven years of time, so you got to take that into consideration. Bruce? Yeah, you know, that's one that I get a lot also, Peg. This, and there's this idea that if I borrow from my 401k and I'm paying the interest on the loan back to myself, so it's a good source to borrow money, but I've never liked the idea, in addition to what you just said, to me, the 401k is a retirement plan, and, and I don't want people to use it until they retire. That's what it's designed for. That's the re primary reason, reason that they're making contributions. And yes, I understand there can be emergencies in life. Their life can throw you curveballs, and there may be exceptions to that retirement rule, but by and large, the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, I want to see people leave their retirement accounts alone until they retire. Peg? Yeah, and um, the other question I'm getting is, uh, what in the world is the stock market doing? I mean, we just had the biggest run-up in a very long time, and you know, I'm having clients say, oh, is this something that's going to stick? Or should I be taking my, I actually got a question, should I be taking my RMD, my required minimum distribution that I have to take in 2024, now they're looking forward to 2024, should I pull that money out of my IRA in my stock market holdings and put it, keep it in my IRA, but just move it to a money market since I know I'm going to need to take it out the next year? So I wanted to just go over kind of what... Um, our investment team, they just did a, a, a huge slideshow presentation to all of us. Um, we have uh, more than 50 people in our investment department now, so it's nice that there was five of them that took the time to go over 
you know, our predictions kind of for 2024. And um, the, we just have to remind everybody that the stock market, and a lot of times we talk about the S&P 500. Well, that's 500 stocks. It still is true that uh, the seven that are called the Magnificent Seven are still driving a lot of that performance, and those are tech companies. Um, there's 493 other stocks in there. Yes, they're doing well this year too, but the, the, the majority of the growth has come from those seven stocks. So how do we feel about that? Well, it's all about the Fed, right? The Fed, um, they had two mandates. One is to control inflation and get it down to 2%. And the second mandate is unemployment. And unemployment remains very strong. So it's somewhat confusing uh, that you have such strong unemployment. And so what the Fed's been doing is raising rates, raising rates, raising rates, and they've been trying to slow us down from spending. Well, um, there's a couple different consumers out there. There's consumers out there that are actually have already burned through their savings. They got some COVID checks, you know, and now they're starting to put money on their credit cards. And then there's these healthier consumers, um, you know, wealthier people that are very resilient and they're just continuing to spend. So um, what they what they did is the Fed just recently said, oh, I'm not going to raise rates anymore. I'm just going to keep it where it is. Well, predictions in 2024, uh, the prediction is that there's going to be four or five rate cuts. And we're already starting to see that interest rates are starting to come down. And we've talked on the show, Bruce, about the fact that I've been encouraging clients to lock in kind of these treasuries longer than one year. Even though one year is very attractive, it used to be the first week in November, 5.3% I could get on a one-year treasury. And today, it's dropped to 4.9. The bigger difference is in the 10-year treasury, where it was at 4.58 in November, um, the first week of November, and now it's dropped to 3.9. So we do believe that um, if all things go the way we predict, that they will continue to kind of bring um, interest rates down. Now, the recession word still is coming up uh, in conversations because the headlines are still that it's very possible that we could still have a um, recession, and, th and that's possible. But um, because the job market is just so resilient, the consumer is still out, you know, spending, uh, we believe that if, if things continue as is, maybe we skip it and the Fed really does have a soft landing to, you know, the whole COVID era. Bruce? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up the market, Peg. Um, we are back, you know, every, everyone knows that 2022 was a bad year. And not just with seven companies and not just American companies and not just with stocks. Virtually everything was down last year. Stocks were down, bonds were down, real estate was down, precious metals are down, commodity. I mean, the last year the best place to put your money was cash. This year we've rebounded nicely, and I don't want to pat us on the back peg, and, and nobody knows what will happen in the market in the short term. But if people have been paying attention this year, we've been saying since the beginning of the year that we were cautiously optimistic. Again, people tend to focus on negative things, and yes, we have this tragic war that continues to go on. It's almost two years now in the Ukraine. We've got the war in Gaza. 
we focus on these negative things, and they are horrific, and, and people are dying, and people are suffering. But when we look at global macroeconomic factors, there was reasons to be optimistic this year, and it turned out we were right. We've had a good year. The year's not over, but it's going to end positively, and we're back to where we were, uh, the previous market highs in late 2021. In terms of where we're going next year, I agree with you, Peg. I think we're going to see interest rates go down. The Fed is going to cut rates. I've already seen the drop on one of my money market accounts. My bank lowered my rate. I called them up and said, why did you lower my rate? The Fed hasn't cut rates yet. And they said, well, no, but we think they're going to. So it's it started. Mortgage rates are down. Um, I think there will be a soft landing. I personally don't think we're going to go into a, a deep recession. And I think based on what we know right now, um, I think there's more reasons for optimism than pessimism. But again, nobody ever knows in the short term, including us. Nobody knows for sure. We can look at things logically and try to anticipate, uh, but you never know for sure. But it'll be, it's going to be an interesting year. Um, Susie, we probably have time to get a text in before we need to take a break. Yes, if you'd like to do that. The texter writes, I've been earning about 5% in a money market account this year. Interest earned will be about $10,000. I'm wondering how to prepare for tax season. Is that interest simply added into my income and then taxed at whatever the income tax rate would then be? Question mark to you both. Thanks, Susie. So, Peg, um, 1099s, interest earnings, and those types of things, how do people account for that from a tax standpoint? Yeah, we brought this up in our show a couple times already that I think people will be shocked that they, number one, they're used to getting 1099s, but number two, the 1099 said zero. I mean, or a couple bucks, right? And now that we can earn money on our money that's liquid, the 1099 is absolutely going to be higher if you followed what we said on the show, since all year long we're telling people don't sit in the bank at you know at zero, and because they'll love if you do nothing and and they pay you little, so um, you are going to get a 1099. Now the way that works is it will go on your um, uh, tax return as a dividend, you know, a dividend or uh, interest that's paid. They don't necessarily add it to your other income, there's a separate line on your tax return that these 1099s have to go. And yes, it can actually bring your um, effective rate, you know, the rate that you pay uh, on your taxes, uh, you know, can make it higher. It could, it could push you into another bracket. The nice thing about our tax system, though, is it's a progressive tax system, meaning you pay so many dollars at the 10% level, so many dollars at the 12, so many dollars at the 22, that kind of thing. So even if you go over a little bit into the next tax bracket, it doesn't mean that they retroactively then take all your earnings and say, oh, now everything's at 24%. That's not how it works. Bruce? Yeah, the, you know, and thank you for mentioning the last part, Peg, because I think a lot of times people do think that way. That's like, oh, my gosh, I got to do whatever I can to not go into a higher tax bracket. And from a tax planning, financial planning standpoint, we do try to prevent bracket creep if we can. But look, it's like, to me, it's like you have, you have a job and they offer you a raise. You're going to get more money on your job for the same work. And that extra income is going to put you into a higher bracket. Maybe you move from the 22 to the 24% bracket and you go, gosh, 
I don't want to pay you know, at the 24% tax bracket. Um, I, I, is there any way I can decline this raise? Well, no, you wouldn't do that because even though you're going to pay more in taxes, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to have more net money to take home because, like you said, Peg, the tax doesn't go to 24% on the first dollar. It's only the dollars over and above the top of the 22% bracket. So you're still bringing home more money even though you're paying more taxes. And yes, I'd much rather earn interest on these interest-bearing accounts and have to pay taxes because I made money than all those years in a row that we've had where we, we didn't have any income, we didn't have to pay any taxes because we didn't make any money on our money. I'd rather make money on my money and pay taxes. Susie, I know we're due for a break, and uh, listeners drive the show all the way in the second half. Very good. It is 651-461-9226. I'll say it one more time. 651-461-9226. This is an open phones. Ask Bruce and Peg anything. 651-461-9226. We'll take a short break, and we'll get to as many of your text questions as we can. 651-461-9226. It is your money and the second half of your money. If you have a financial question for the guest today, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-888-6-ADVICE. And you can always email your questions to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. But right now, for the next half hour, you can call 651-461-9226 and ask your question directly to Bruce and Peg, or you can text that question as well at 651-461-9226. Once again, here is the Wealth Enhancement Group Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmerth. Welcome back to both of you. And we have a caller on our news line. Todd is on the line. Do you want to have Todd just jump in here, Bruce, and say hello? Sure, please. Good morning, Todd. You're on the air. Hello. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so my wife and I we, we retired, and we have two rental homes in Florida. And a couple of questions. Um, the rental income from the homes, are they taxable? And also, um, does that income count towards our Social Security uh, ceiling that you can earn? Hey, Todd, thanks for listening, and thanks for your questions. And um, I, w- I also want to say before we jump into the answer, um, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and Susie and Peg also. In case it gets busy later and I don't get a chance to do this, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, be safe, enjoy your loved ones. All the listeners, um, we started out complaining about the busyness of the season, but we're all blessed, um, and I hope everyone has a wonderful holiday. So, Peg, Todd has rental properties in Florida. He's getting rental income. Uh, let's, let's broaden the discussion, talk about how that's taxed or, or, or taxation, and then also does that income count towards and what he's talking about is the Social Security crossover. A lot of listeners that aren't retired yet or don't draw Social Security yet might not understand that you probably are going to pay taxes on your Social Security benefit, but how much you pay is a function of 
um, what's called modified adjusted gross income. So let's let's answer Todd's question and uh, and expand the discussion to to other things that kind of touches on Peg. Yeah. So if you have um, <clears throat> rental properties and they're classified as an investment, meaning that you know you're you're trying to make a profit on it, uh, some clients will actually create an LLC, limited liability company. Um, within, you know, having some type of um, extracurricular type of business that they have, which is an investment. Is it taxable? Well, it's a little bit complex in that, you know, you get your rental income, but then you also have costs, uh, just like a business, right? So you probably have some maintenance um, costs. You might actually have a, a housing association that you have to pay. Uh, you probably have some property taxes that you have to pay. So you take your income, you know, minus your cost, and then you come up with this net income that would be taxable. You also have, um, you also have a, a, an opportunity, if you don't make too much income, that you could defer some of your income and not have to pay. Or if you don't make too much money, you, there are some additional write-offs that you could have um, outside of someone else who might have a higher income. And I think the limit is 150000 something like that. When it comes to Social Security, um, and I just got this question this week, which is interesting, not on a property like you're talking about, but they, they asked about investment income. Does investment income alter my, um, you know, percentage that I pay tax on my Social Security? And it does not. So if you think about 1099s we just talked about uh, in the first half, that doesn't account um, for uh, your income tax. But if you have employment income, something like that, then, you know, or then that would count. The other thing I wanted to add here is, you know, you can't make, like if you're younger and you're under your full retirement age, you can't make um, a certain amount of money, otherwise Social Security, and take your Social Security, otherwise they're going to take some of your dollars back of your Social Security. So we coach our clients to maybe not take Social Security if you're going to take employment income at that time um, as well. Bruce? Peg, that was a great answer, very comprehensive. The, the only thing I can think to add is that specifically with regard to taxes on your Social Security, um, and I don't have all the numbers memorized, but I do know if you're a married couple filing jointly and your income exceeds $32,000, you're going to pay taxes on your Social Security benefit. And in, in terms of that income, you mentioned some things that aren't counted, but what we didn't mention is part of what's counted is 50% of your Social Security benefit. So you have to add that into the equation. So it's, it's very, very rare, very difficult that anybody stays below that $32,000 threshold, which, which means you will pay federal taxes on your Social Security benefit. And then if you go over $44,000, the rate the, uh, that you pay on your Social Security goes up a little bit. So most people federally are going to pay taxes on Social Security, and there's probably nothing we can do to avoid it. Um, and then there's 12 states that actually charge on your social, charge state taxes on your Social Security benefit. This show originates in Minnesota, and as, of, uh, as, as I speak, Minnesota is one of those 12, although they've been talking for years about eliminating that. They have not done it yet, so I wanted to add that. And the other thing I thought of, Peg, and it wasn't part of Todd's question, 
But when, when we talk about Florida or we talk about Arizona, usually it's in pertain to a stat, it pertains to people trying to change residency and moving from Minnesota to Florida or to Arizona because they have no state income taxes and Minnesota does. And, and frankly, I thought that's where Todd was going to go. And maybe you want to elaborate on this, but we also coach our clients things they can do to strengthen their fact pattern so that they can, you know, if they're going to claim residency in another state to try to lower their, their taxes, we have a list of 20-some things that we coach them to do, you know, uh, register your car, you register to vote, you know, there, there's a lot, you know, again, I don't remember all 20-some, but that, that's where my brain went as Todd was articulating his question. You want to talk about that at all? Well, um, I, I would just say that there is a long list of things that you can do, um, but but it doesn't it doesn't assure you of not um, you know right. getting questioned. So so um, it, it, in a lot of cases, what I tell clients is here's the list, uh, but you may want to go hire someone, you know, an attorney or um, talk to your tax person. The more you can get educated about the steps that you need to do. Uh, the better. So. Susie? Six, Susie five, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Six five one four six one nine two two six. We have Sheridan on the news on our phone line here. Welcome to the program and go ahead with your question, please. I am eighty two years old and I am thinking of uh, needing assisted living or a nursing home and I do have my policy and if I do uh, ask them to activate that is it, uh, uh, do I have to pay federal and state taxes as income besides my pension on the proceeds uh, for, uh, that they will pay me towards the assisted, assisted living or nursing home? Sheridan, uh, again, happy holidays. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the question. And, uh, boy, he did, Peg, he does not sound 82. His voice sounds strong and youthful and healthy. Um, and, and when he said the policy, Peg, I, I'm assuming he's referring to he has long-term care insurance that he's going to activate the benefits on. And, and I think, you know, the question um, partially is, you know, is that taxable or not? So let's talk. And, and it, this is really good. It's very timely. We actually did a show on senior housing a week ago. Uh, we can go back to some of the things we talked about last week to answer Sheridan's question. Peg? Well, the question, the answer to the question is very simple in that you have a contract for that long-term care policy that you purchased. It either says it's qualified or non-qualified. What that means is, is it taxable or is it not taxable? The lion's share of contracts are not taxable. And so, but there's still some out there that are. So I would say if, you know, if you bought it a long time ago, it may be taxable, but read the policy. If you need help, then you can um, go back to the company that you purchased it from. And they have people that are so qualified to, uh, to, to tell you the details of that contract. Bruce. Yeah. And again, th that's something we do a lot. So if Sheridan's agent isn't around anymore and he doesn't know who to talk to with the, with the carrier that provided his policy, he can actually come to Wealth Enhancement and, uh, and, and, and Pam or somebody in her team can do an analysis or read the policy and, and give uh, Sheridan or whoever calls help and guidance 
that's a service that we provide and, and you know we're happy to help you figure it out but yeah the logical place to start if you don't know is with the agent or with the company that you got the policy from Susie? 651-461-9226. If you have a question for Bruce or Peg, here's a texter that writes, what are the pros and cons of a six-year structured annuity based on the S&P 500 with a 15% buffer? Okay, so Susie, that that text brings in a couple of different concepts that um, may take Peg Peg and I a while to explain. So Peg, um, an annuity, a buffer, um, what the heck is this text you're talking about? Well, annuities, um, just in general, are issued by insurance companies. And uh, they, they're some of the oldest type of investments um, out there. They, used, they were actually born uh, for teachers. And so what these insurance companies do is they issue these annuities, which are an investment. And it started out that they were just fixed annuities meaning kind of like when you go to a bank and you buy a CD, insurance companies got into, hey, if you give us your money, we will give you a fixed rate of return for a certain period of time. Now, a little bit different is when you buy a fixed rate annuity, um, you better know that the company that you're buying it from has good balance sheet because you're literally relying on that company to be able to pay you back. When you go buy a CD at the bank, the bank um, issues the CD, but you have up to 250 with the uh, federal deposit insurance um, protection so that you have a little bit more um, protection. So you, you need to look at the company and their financials. Secondly, the second thing that was born with annuities is variable annuities. And variable annuities, they're not, um, it's not a fixed annuity. They're actually taking uh, stocks and bond um, mutual funds and, you know, different investments and saying, okay, we, if you buy it through the insurance company, um, we will hire managers to manage that money, but we'll give you some other bells and whistles and maybe it'll grow over time higher than a fixed would. Uh, then all of a sudden it came out where there's something in between. You've got a fixed annuity. You've got a variable annuity with um, with investments in it. Now they're taking a little bit of both of those sides and called them structured annuities. And what it is is a combination of the fixed side and the variable side. And what they do is they say, okay, give me a hundred thousand, and I'm going to draw a little bit of a a little chart here. And I'm going to show you some interest rates. Like it could be zero at the bottom and it could be all the way up to 10% at the top. And depending on what that index, you mentioned the S&P 500, that's one index that they use, you know, depending on how that falls in your particular calendar year, um, it goes by when you buy the policy, not by the year that you buy the policy, then they'll calculate how did the S&P do? Well, you have a floor, and you could have a floor of zero, meaning if it didn't do that well or if it was a negative, the least you could lose would be zero. And then they have a, a, a kind of a peak number where let's say it's 10%, and if it went o- over 10%, you're capped at that 10%. So what they're doing is they're kind of creating a band of what you could earn based on something else like the S&P 500. I find these things very complex, meaning I understand them, 
But then at the end of the day, when I talk about them with clients, it's there's so much to them and there's lots of moving parts. And so all I would say, Bruce, is if indeed you're looking at these structured um, annuities, make sure that you really understand what you're buying because I find more so than not when a person comes to me as a new client, they can't recite anything about what they really bought. And that's the thing that concerns me is if they, if they don't understand, they maybe needed to ask a few more questions um, before they put their money in. And the other thing is, is once again, it's like a fixed annuity where you're relying on the, on the, the paying ability of that insurance company for you to get your money back. So you need to do a little bit more due diligence. Bruce. Peg, that was such a good answer. When you know, when we when I when Susie read the text, in my head I was thinking what I was gonna say, and what you said was so much better and so much under, more understandable. The only thing I'm gonna add is I think the text said pros and cons. So an advantage of a strategy like this, they also said six year structure with a fifteen percent buffer. If I understand the texture correctly, that means they're in the S&P 500, and they're going to look at the performance over a six-year period of time. So what it does in one year or two years doesn't matter. They're going to look at six years. And if the S&P over a six-year period of time was down 15%, they'd get zero. If it was down 20, they'd have a negative five. The annuity company is absorbing the first 15% of risk on the S&P 500 over that 15-year period of time. So what's the advantage? You reduce your risk. What's the disadvantage? They also, like you said, will cap your upside. So if that cap number, and I'm just making this up, is 10% and the index makes 20, you only get 10. So you're, you're reducing your risk and reducing your upside. Those are kind of the pros and cons. Other disadvantages are annuities are, all, are usually going to reduce your liquidity or accessibility to your money. And the other disadvantage, as you said, Peg, for most people, they're confusing and complicated and they don't understand them. That doesn't mean we never use them. For the investor that right. wants or needs market exposure, but they want to reduce risk, an annuity might be a good solution. All Peg, right. anything else? No. Good. Okay. The next, <laughs> we have about five minutes, so let's see how many we can get to. This texter writes, how do you purchase Minnesota municipal bonds? Boy, is this in Peg's wheelhouse, Peg. <laughs> well, it, 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 um, you, you need to go through uh, a broker-dealer to buy individual bonds, um, and, 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 and if that's what you're looking for. I'm a big fan of municipal bonds. Um, lately, we have been uh, comparing them to what the yields on the treasuries have been. And think about it, municipalities haven't issued a lot of new bonds. since Interest rates have gone so low. So the supply of them is not as grand as it used to be. So the cost of, of going and buying a Minnesota municipal or a national municipal, any state, is a little bit more expensive when you look at the comparison of what you could get on a treasury today. So um, number one, you have to find some broker dealer or some in, uh, investment place that would buy them for you, and that's okay. And then secondly, look at the comparison of what other fixed income products you could buy to say, is this the best thing I could buy today uh, on the, the yield curve? Um, in comparison to maybe treasuries and municipals. Bruce? 
Yeah, and they tend to be more attractive for people in a very high tax bracket, especially if they're double tax exempt. If they're state and federal tax exempt, even though the yield or the coupon might be a little bit lower, your net return after the tax savings might be better. So this is certainly a tool that we use in our practice with our clients that are in a high tax bracket, and we usually ladder them or have different durations. So yeah, it can be a great idea for the right investor. Susie, I think we've got time for at least one more. Okay. This texture writes, if my portfolio has losses in 2023, is there a tax benefit? Ben, losses. Yes. So, so with losses, um, each of us can write off, if you will, uh, as a negative uh, takeaway from other income of a maximum of $3,000. So let's say you have a loss of $10,000. Well, you can use $3,000 for 2023 to offset income, and then you get to carry forward the other losses. So you, you don't lose them, but you may not be able to use all of them. Another way to use all of them for 2023 is we had a good year in the stock market and you maybe you made money on other things. You can cross that 10000 of losses on $10,000 worth of gains. So you could wipe out your gains. So um, I am recommending that people take a look here at, you know, um, in the next few days and see if there's anything that they could do on their income tax that would make sense uh, still for 2023. Bruce. Really quickly, Susie, I'll just add, because I know we're low on time here, but um, Peg's answer, again, was great. And we, we always say don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. In other words, don't sell something just to get a loss because you want a loss to offset gains if you think that position is going to come back and you still think it's a good investment. Top priority is what do we think the investment will do? Is it a good long-term investment or not? then yes, we want to be tax efficient and tax effective. Um, and, and again, it, you can deduct losses, but we'd always rather pay taxes because we made money than get a deduction because we lost money. And I know we're about out of time. Happy holidays to everybody. All right. Happy holidays to everyone. Peg, thank you so much. And Bruce, and I want to remind people listening right now, if you have a question and you have texted it to Bruce or Peg, you can now email that, yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. That's yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Someone will get back to you. Or you can call anytime, 24 hours a day, 888-6-ADVICE. That's 888-6-ADVICE. Bruce Pegg, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we'll see you next time.